I depend on you. I faith you. I trust you. I give my life to you. What a prayer. And I love the songs that address the Lord Jesus directly. Good morning. It's great to see you. We've got a lot more people in here since I sat down a minute ago. I'm thrilled to death to see you here. appreciate you coming today. It's a special day for me and my family. And I did hear someone in the back a little while, while ago saying when the scripture was read, Ephesians 5, husbands love your wife. One of the wives elbowed the husband said, we came on a good day. <laughs> so I, I, I thought that was a, a pretty good con- comment. Let me just mention to you quickly what we have been studying. Uh, we have been studying fighting Christians. Y'all know any? Uh, we've been studying Christians that disagree and have conflict. And how, because conflict is not necessarily a bad thing. I want you to understand that. We grow through conflict. We learn through conflict. If life were always smooth and easy, there wouldn't be a lot of development. And we need to learn how to engage in conflict in a healthy manner, when to engage and when not to engage. And so we, we talked about the difference of opinions on personal convictions. And we found out that personal convictions are not absolute truths, but that you find your convictions as you open your mind and your heart and your life to God. You depend upon Him. You're reliant upon him and what may be okay with, for you may not be okay for someone else. What may be okay for someone else may not be okay for you. But the goal here is to lift one another up, to encourage one another, to not put a stumbling block in another's way. We talked about theological disagreements. You know anybody you disagree with theologically? We talked about those doctrinal things at which everything has to be the same. For if you're a Christian, those things related to salvation, who God is, who Christ is, how a person can know Christ, those are non-negotiables for fellowship to be a part of the family of God. There are other items where you can have wonderful discussions as a family, as brother and sister, and extend grace to one another. But there are some non-negotiables that we hold to. We talked about when fighting gets personal. When somebody gets mad at you or you get mad at somebody else, how do we as Christians engage in interpersonal conflicts? And how do we respond? And we learned about what it means to seek peace insofar as it lies within you to be at peace with one another. We we began to understand, and we'll go deeper into this in later studies, but what it means to forgive, to release, to not hold on to hurt or the debt that you have incurred when someone offends you and by the way to do all these things we need to depend upon the Lord Jesus Christ amen and so we talked about different types of conflict and the next place that we were going was all right culture wars there's conflict out there isn't there plenty of things to disagree with and to fight over in the world and so how do we as Christians stand for truth but rather than jumping right into that we thought we'd approach specifically the family What God intends for wives, what God intends for husbands, what God intends for parents and children. And it's important to note this in this day. So last week we preached to the women. Women, you get to sit back and take notes on behalf of your husband today. Because today we're talking to men. What it means to be a godly man. And our focus, because we're in this text, and it's appropriate text, is primarily how to be a godly man in the context of a family. How to be a godly husband, how to be the man that God has intended for you to be. Oregon read our passage of scripture when we were talking earlier today. I thought it was pretty funny. I said, Oregon, we're reading uh, um, Ephesians chapter 5 verses 25 through 33. It starts, husbands, obey your wives. Did y'all catch that? Because we were heavily into affirmation at that point. 
But I wanted to make sure we get the terminology and the understanding of the vocabulary correctly. By the way, this is a very simple sermon. There's no, no real new, exciting uh, revelation. This is God's Word, the same God's Word that's been around since He wrote it. It's the same Word that He has preserved and kept for us. It's the same Word that pastors have preached, that people have read and studied, that people have uh, applied in their lives. It's God's eternal Word that shall not pass away. It's not some new revelation, it's old revelation that we need to grasp and understand and be obedient to. And so let's pray again, and then we'll jump right into the text if we, sh- if we can. Father, thank you for your loving kindness that is better than life. Thank you that you are sufficient and strong and gracious and kind. Thank you that you are just and holy. Thank you that you execute justice and that you, again, are merciful to us as we come to you in repentance and faith. Today we're talking about families, and families are important. Families matter. You established the family. And today we're talking specifically about the dads, about the husbands, about the men and the role that you would have us to fill and the kind of guys you would have us to be. I pray, Father, that you'll teach us and that you'll instruct us. And not only will we gain knowledge, if there's some that we don't have, information that we need to hold on to, not only will we gain knowledge, but, Father, we will gain the knowledge of you as we walk in obedience to the things that you command. Strengthen our families. Be glorified in us today. In your name I pray. Amen. So when we talk about culture wars, when we talk about the, the culture around us, there is almost a, uh, in some areas of the culture around us, there's this uh, emphasis on toxic masculinity and the goal of feminizing men. And I don't know if you're familiar with that movement. I will tell you that it is out there and that it is strong. And we need godly, strong men. It's God's design. It is God's plan. It's different than what we hear from the culture. All masculinity in some areas at least is seen as toxic. And while there are toxic and domineering and abusive men, the answer to that is to, for men to submit to their authority, to submit to the authority of God, to give up their lives to Christ, and it is not to abandon the role of manhood or your role to be a leader. The command in our text Starts as simple as it could possibly be. Husbands, love your wife. Pretty straightforward, right? Husbands, love your wife. Now, I believe you use that word specifically. It's the word agape, agapeo in this text. Husbands, love your wife because loving your wife is the best thing that you can do for your kids. It's the best thing that you can do for yourself. It's the best thing you can do for your wife. It's the best thing you can do for your community. It's the best thing you can do for your city. By the way, Women, listen. I want you to listen. But, guys, I really want you to listen. This stuff is important. Because when we talk about this, it always starts with us. I want you, when the Word of God, when I, when I hear something that's exciting or something that's challenging or truth from the Word of God, the first application is not for me to think about that guy over there or that guy over there or this guy I know or that guy I work with. Let it start with us. So let's allow the Word of God to work, work in us personally. But it's important that we recognize that we have a role of agape, and that is the love of God. That is the goal, the love that seeks someone else's highest good. It means that you love your wife. You are determined to work for 
her best in all things. At your wedding, you promise to love her for better or worse, or richer and poorer, in sickness and health, as long as you both shall live, or something along those lines. But in our society, we have a misunderstanding of marriage. We think that marriage is to make me feel good. It is to make us happy. We come into marriage thinking, as men, great. I've got someone who will love me and always be kind to me and respect me and honor me. I've got someone who will cook for me and someone who will make sure that there are clothes in the closet. I've got someone who will meet my needs and will make me feel good and will keep me happy. And everything will be fine because she's going to keep me happy. All right, guys, how long did that last? I mean, seriously, women, same thing. When you seek for contentment and fulfillment in your spouse rather than in Christ, you are doomed to disappointment and frustration. But our culture says that's what you're looking for, so that when she no longer pleases you or it's no longer easy, or for a hundred other reasons, you can just disconnect. You can leave. You can leave the premises and go. You can break the relationship. You can stay in the house and just be apathetic and be completely disconnected. There are many ways that men abandon their wives. And it's not only in our day and culture. When Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, there were two primary cultures. He had the Greco-Roman culture, by the way, which said that men could be unfaithful to their wives. They could do whatever they wanted to do. A wife could be put to death if she was unfaithful to her husband. Completely different standard between men and women. And even in the Jewish culture, you think these are the religious guys. These are the guys who get it. No. In the Jewish culture, men ruled. They were dominant. Women had very little rights, if any at all. As a matter of fact, in the Mishnah, the traditional Jewish teachings that carried a lot of weight, it said that a wife could not divorce her husband under any circumstances, but that a husband could divorce his wife for any perceived offense or any slight offense for cooking his food wrong, for displeasing him in some way. Isn't that ridiculous? So quick, and that's why one of the reasons that we see Jesus teaching on this, and specifically to the Pharisees in the Gospels. At that time, much like this time, there was the emphasis that, all right, if my wife acts this way or dresses this way or behaves this way, then, then I will love her. But if she doesn't, then I will leave her. And that's even found its way. Frankly, if I can just address counseling for a moment. We have a bibling counselor, pastor at this church, and others who counsel biblically in this congregation. And we always want to, that's discipleship. It is opening the Word of God and teaching it. But even in some counseling situations, not here, but in others, some churches give some idea of women being blamed for the disobedience of their husbands. I spoke, I've spoken with women who told me they were counseled that if they didn't do this or they didn't do that, then their husband could just go out and find somebody who would. One woman said that her former pastor said that her husband's adultery was as much her fault as it was his because she wasn't meeting her needs. And that seems to be a secular mentality. I'm going to tell you, it's a lie from the pit of hell, and it's wrong. And it's ungodly. Men, love your wives selflessly. The world says if you don't get what you want out of a relationship, just leave it and go find another. But the command here is to love your wives Husbands, love, agapate, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That is agape love, the highest love, the love 
Christ has for you. And so I want to give you just a few things that are involved in this agape love. And the first one, if you're taking notes, I would encourage you to do so. The first one, men, I want you to be steadfast. Be steadfast in your love. You don't get to quit. You don't get to back out. Uh, We've got this whole concept of really soft, weak men. And I don't mean effeminate. I mean guys who will not follow through on the promises that they make. I mean men who are fickle and who are flimsy in their attitude. The command here is agape love, steadfast love, love that is not conditional. And the, 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 uh, um, the grammar, this is a present active imperative. It means it is now and it is ongoing. This is a love that is steadfast, unconditional, non-transactional, not reactive, but intentional and proactive. It is not flighty. It is not fickle. It is not weak. There will be times when you live with anyone, doesn't matter who it is, but when you live with your spouse, the one that you're committed to the most and love the most and pay attention to the most, that they'll get on your last nerve. There are times when they will do that thing that upsets you. There'll be times when you're tired and your frustrations mount and all of the things that you bring into the relationship, you're on her last nerve. And it, it, it accelerates, it, it escalates. Steadfast love says, listen, it doesn't matter how hard it's going to be, how hard it is today, how hard it may be tomorrow. I'm here and I'm staying. I chose you. I still choose you. And yes, it's going to be difficult. And yes, there are going to be challenges and things may be tough, but we're going to get through it. We have become one. Agape love doesn't quit It doesn't stop. It doesn't waffle. It doesn't give up. It doesn't leave. It stays the course. Men, be steadfast. That's a man. That's a mature person, man or woman. That's a mature response. That's what it means to walk in cross. And it's more than just staying. Can I tell you that? I I know couples who have stayed in relationships, and basically they're just surviving they're just existing they're just in the same same place but it is saying all right I'm going to love you I'm going to as God has called me to do shepherd you care for you I'm going to stay connected with you I'm going to pray for you I'm going to pray with you last week we talked about wives be subject to your husbands is based upon believers being subject to one another and subject to Christ in all things in 1 Peter 3 women are told that even when their husband is an unbeliever even when he's doing things that are wrong that through their respectful behavior, it's possible that they could win him over. Now, they're never commanded to submit to be led into sin or to submit to be abused. I want you to understand that. But they continue in, in a relationship with respectful and pure conduct as unto the Lord. As unto the Lord. Here we have the same sort of thing for husbands. Same for the husband. No matter what your wife does, your love is not dependent upon her actions. Why? Because you are doing what you're doing out of obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're in it for good. How about that? You're in it for good. Now let's clarify that. You're in it for her good. You're in it for her good, for the glory of Christ, for the good of your family. That's how Christ loves us, isn't it? Christ isn't fickle in his love for us. We're fickle in our love for him. We can be rebellious and unfaithful and disrespectful, and yet Christ loves us every day. His mercies are new every morning. He's faithful even when we're faithless because he cannot deny himself. We need to make sure, guys, that we don't turn into some. I remember 
growing up, I was a little kid in Mokes Creek. By the way, my mom's here. I'm thrilled to have her here, by the way. If you haven't met her, you'll want to. She's a joy. <laughs> Sorry, Mom, called you out like that right there in front of everybody. But I remember when I was a kid growing up, Dad was a pastor at Mokes Creek Baptist Church. We lived in South Mississippi, Mokes Creek, Mississippi. It's close to Macomb, Brookhaven, if that means anything to you. And I remember as a family, we were having a devotional time in the addition room in the back. And, and we, had, we were having a prayer time together. And uh, Dad prayed for a person in the church who was at outs with him. And I remember being surprised because it was at that moment that I realized that age does not equal maturity. I always thought everybody, when you grew up, would behave like an adult. Isn't that right? That, that's the concept. As you, as you grow, as you get older, you have more experiences, you learn self-control, frontal lobe develops, and everybody behaves responsibly and with maturity. And I began to realize early, both through personal observation and through some just conversations that we had, particularly at that devotion, I remember when the light came on, just because you're old doesn't mean you're mature. Gentlemen, we got a lot of immature Adults walking around, not willing to take responsibility, not willing to assume or find the role that God's given you in your family. You need to be men who lead. You need to be real men, not divas, not uh, fickle, not waffling. You need to be the kind of man, as Christ loved the church, who loves his wife, and who also says, I'm going to put your needs above my own. And isn't that hard? That's the second point, by the way. Godly men put her needs first, put their wife's needs first. Uh, it is important to recognize this, that we're to follow the example of Christ as believers. And we do this at one level in the context of the church. Honor one another, in love prefer one another. You guys remember, we went through Romans chapter 12. We've read the, the book of Ephesians and studied through it. First Thessalonians, multiple places where it talks about not only living at peace, but submitting yourself to one another. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, in all humility, seeking the good of others. How much more does that apply in the context of a family? How much more does that apply in the role that God's placed you in? You're to represent Christ to her. You're to put her needs first. And I love Christ's example, particularly in John chapter 10. I'm preparing for some sermons that are going to be coming up later. I've been in John. Uh, in John chapter 10, I just want to pull a few verses out. John 10, 11, Jesus speaking says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now, not the hired hand. There is a hired hand who is not a shepherd. He doesn't own the sheep. He sees the wolf coming. He leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Now, just to, to pull a little bit from this passage of Scripture for our lives, in that passage, five times he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. We look at Jesus as our example of sacrifice as our example of giving up Philippians chapter 2 equality with God not something to be grasped but kenosis he humbled himself he emptied himself he condescended and he came down to serve not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom from his many just from this passage can I give you just a couple of things that you need to be thinking about when, it, when you're following the example of Christ in the context of your relationship, and by the way, for you women here who are not yet married, this is the kind of guy you need to be looking for. Don't settle. 
you need to be looking for in men. You need to be the kind of man who gives himself completely to the woman that God gives to you. You need to be willing to stand between her and harm. How is Jesus described? He's described as the protector. He's the door of the sheepfold. He is the one who lays down his life. He's the one who fights off the wolf because of his love for them. When the wolf comes, he does not flee. He does not run from hard things. When the going gets rough, he stays. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't back out before he got to the cross? That he went all the way through to accomplish the purpose that God had given them. And I love this last one. We'll come back to this in a moment if we have time. He says, I know my sheep and they know me. There's an intimacy. There's a full knowledge, a complete knowledge there. I know them. They know me. Husbands, you are to know your wife. Now, I just heard yesterday a guy say, if you can understand why they make a pizza round and then they put it in a square box and you eat it in a triangle, then you can possibly begin to understand why women do what they do. All right, now, I'm going to tell you, men, it's beyond the scope, okay? I I, I just want, want to let you know that you will never figure out your wife completely. But here's what you ought to do. You ought to try. You ought to listen to her stories. You ought to talk to her about how she was raised and her background. You ought to be aware of what kind of day she's going through and what she's experiencing. You ought to be intentional enough and take the effort enough to really listen and seek to understand. You do know First Peter 3 says that you need to live with your wife in an understanding way so that your prayers are not hindered. That's a pretty big deal, guys. And so you need to listen to know them. Back to our text, Ephesians 5, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ says to the church. Listen, you've got a role in the family. You're to nourish your wife. The word there just simply means it's an intensified form of to feed. You are there to provide sustenance, emotional, spiritual, in multiple ways for your wife. You're to be there for her. But I love the word cherish because the word cherish is warm. In the Septuagint, it's used for incubating eggs. How about that? And all it means is you create a warm environment. You create a warm, safe environment. It, it speaks of intimacy. It speaks of, uh, of a friendly, of an a excellent, tender relationship. And so when you put her needs first, that's called self-denial. And self-denial always has a purpose. You have a role to lead spiritually. Back to Ephesians, men love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Why? To sanctify her, to wash her. You have a role to lead spiritually. That's the next point on the outline. Sanctifying. He does this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or with blemish. Now, how do you do that? He says here, by the washing of the water and the word. And can I just mention something really quick? I am a preacher and I am the son of a preacher. Okay, my dad was a great preacher, years proclaiming the word of God. I am a preacher. Do you think I ever preach at my wife? Yeah, yeah. Don't look at her. 
I'm going to tell you right now, especially early in our marriage, I've learned a few things along the way, but especially early in my marriage, when she would do something I would, I would not like, buddy, I had a Bible verse. And I would fall into preacher role and say, honey, thus saith the Lord, and try to straighten her out. Can I tell you, that is an immature way to handle the Word of God. When the Bible talks about the Word of God, there are two primarily Greek words that are used. One is logos. Which means the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. Without Him, not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shone in darkness, and the darkness could not comprehend it. Logos, logos, the Word, the living Word, identifies the Lord Jesus Christ. It also means idea or philosophy, or it is a, a proclamation. There's another New Testament word for word, word for word. And it is rhema. Are you familiar with the word rhema? It also means to speak and it means to communicate. But what it carries is the idea of intimacy, of personal communication. I love this where he says the washing of water in the word. The word that he uses is rhema. I heard a, man, a pastor one time saying, I love this illustration. He said, logos is like this. It's like me as your pastor saying, church, I love you. Church, I love you. And that's true. And it's speaking to a crowd. And it's true. Rhema would be like me going and sitting by Suzanne and putting my arm around her neck and leaning over and whispering in here, babe, I love you. So men, your role as a spiritual leader in the, in the family is not to lord it over your wife and not to preach at her. Your word is to allow the living word of God in you. As you fill your mind and your heart with the word of God, as you are walking in step with the Holy Spirit of God, to lead her. Yes, there is instruction and yes, there is correction because that's what the Word of God does as we allow the Word of God to have its way not only in our life but in our wife's life and in our children's life and the lives of people around us. Do you understand what I'm saying? We have a sanctifying role in the world, but it starts at home. We are to walk with Christ. You know what your wife needs? She needs a holy man. She needs a man who knows Jesus. A man who prays, a man whose heart is filled with rejoicing because of the goodness of God, a man who will step up and be the man that God's called him to be. You are to lead spiritually. The goal in all of this is that your wife be continually drawing closer to Jesus. That's what sanctify is, hagias. You guys are familiar with the word. It's the word sometimes translated saint. Is your wife a saint? You have a responsibility there. Is she, is she holy? Is she set apart? Is she dedicated? You lead spiritually. And in order for you to lead spiritually, you need to be spiritual. Amen? You can't lead where you haven't been. You can't teach what you don't know. You can't encourage. You need to be on the forefront. Be in the Word. Allow the Word to live in you. A personal word. Ephesians 5.28, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Now, I talked about nourishing and cherishing. Cherishing speaks of warmth. That is the source of much security. Guys, I want to go to point four on your outline. This is the last point that we're going to get to today. And this is the kind of stand-up point. This is where I want you to, to get something important. 
You have a role in your family, and that is to provide security for your family. Your job is to do everything within your power and the power of the Lord Jesus Christ that works within you to give your family security, a secure environment, a secure environment for them to grow, for them to learn, safety for them. And I've divided this up in, into just a, a, a three different words that I was taught coming up and then I believe with all my heart is, is the truth of Scripture. You're responsible for provision. You need to make sure your family is provided for. They need to have a place to stay. They need to have a place to stay where they're safe and protected. You need to stand between them and harm. Whatever it takes. There were several times in our married life where I said, honey, we may not have a job. And her comment was always, you'll get a job. You'll get a job. You'll work. You do whatever is necessary to provide for your family's needs. Again, the assumption is, and the, the, the foundation for that is, as you're led by the Spirit of God, as you're being obedient to Him, you need to provide a place to stay, food to eat, a presence, counsel, wisdom, care. You need to be the provider for your family. Make sure your family is provided for. You need to be the protection for your family. Don't leave. Don't leave. There are, see, I remember this statistic. I wrote it down somewhere. 18.62 billion no, that's not right. 18.62 million families in the United States that are single-parent families, single-mom families, the men have left. You need to be there. You need to stand between them and whatever would do them harm. You need to protect them. Guys, it's a, it's, it's a role that God's given to us, women and children, to safety. We stand in harm's way. It's our privilege to protect. This does not denote weakness on the part of women. It denotes the role that God's assigned to men. And gentlemen, your job, most security comes from connecting with your partner. Opening intimacy, opening up yourself to her. The greatest danger to relationship is withdrawing or closing up. It is apathy. It is coexisting without caring. And back to the word cherish, you have a responsibility to cherish, to create a warm, nurturing environment now usually about this point the men stand up and say what about my needs what about my needs because all this doesn't mean that you become some sort of uh flip floppy subservient guy who only does what his wife lets him do that's not what i'm talking about you do understand that right did i have i got you confused there because i want to clear that up uh you need to be men you need to be men who follow after god you need to lead you need to set boundaries in your family you need to say, because this saith the Lord, we're going to do this because we are going to be surrendered to God. What about me? Let me tell you two things happen when you walk in obedience. The first is you begin to know Jesus more. You do know that if you want to know God more, Bible study is not the way to get there, right? Does that make you mad? I want you to think about it. How do you get to know Jesus more? It's not... Simply Bible study, it is obedience to what God tells you. Remember what Jesus said in John chapter 14? He said, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, that's the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. You want to know Jesus? Obey 
what you know he has already called you to do. I depend on you. I depend on you. God, I want to be this kind of man. I want to be a man who loves you with my whole heart. I want to be a man who stewards the wife, the woman that you have entrusted to me, who stewards the children you have entrusted to me. I don't want to be weak and flimsy and immature and and just seeking to satisfy myself. I want to be one who stands in the gap, who makes a difference in this world, in this family, in this household, in this church, and in this community. And I can't do it apart from you, so I depend on you. I love Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, 29. You'll be familiar with it. It's Paul's summation of his ministry. And he says, him, Jesus, I preach. I preach to every man. Why? That I may present everyone holy and perfect and complete at the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. My goal is to be a sanctifying presence in my family, in my community, and in my work. And as men, you're called to that. You have a higher calling than just a job. You have a higher calling than just existence. You're called to be the presence of Christ in the world. Stand up and be the presence of Christ in the world. And he says, for this purpose, for this reason, I I can never pronounce this word. It's only four letters. Toil, T-O-I-L, toil, toil. Somebody want to give it a shot? That. For this, I what is it? What does that mean? What does that mean? Toil? Oil with a T? What does that mean? Let me tell you what it means. It means a guy who rolls up his sleeves, loosens up his collars, sets his hand to the task, and doesn't quit till the task is done. For this I told, he uses another word. He says, I strive. You know what strive is? It's wrestling. For this I work, I strive. He uses another word. The Greek word is agonizomai. I love it. You know what that means, right? For this I agonize. I labor over this. How does he do it? According to his power that works in me. Isn't that great? According to his power that works mightily in me. All right, guys. We say I'll be the man you call me to be. I depend on you. I can be the man you've called me to be as you live your life in me and through me. We can be the families that you've called us to be, fully dependent on Christ. And frankly, guys, just not lazy. Don't do lazy. Just not lazy. Remember that your wife is not yours. She belongs to Christ. God has entrusted her to your care. Remember, those kids are not yours. They belong to God. Remember, he has entrusted them to your care. He gives you the power that you need, power that works mightily. So in closing, all of this is in Christ. Do you know him? I mean, do you really know him? Have you come to him at some point in your life and said, I, I, I am lost apart from you? I have no hope from, apart from you. You are my only hope. And you surrendered your life to him and trusted in his death on the cross. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. He is the good shepherd who went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sin that we can be washed and cleansed and made new. And then he comes to live within us, to live his life through us, to enable us to be all that he intends for us to be for his glory. Do you know him? 
If you don't know him, we would love to talk to you about Jesus. It's one of our favorite conversations around here. Amen? Amen. It's one of our favorite conversations around here. We'd love to talk to you about the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, my exhortation to you is to be the man that God has called you to be. Wives, go back and listen to last week's sermon. Be the women that God has called you to be. Next week, we're going to talk about what do we do about them youngins. That's next week. So come back next week. We'll have a good time. Isn't God good? Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your grace to us. Thank you for the many expressions of the way that you love us and care for us and pour out your affection upon us. Father, thank you for this instruction. And I find in my life it is not often what I don't know. It is often what, that I don't do what I do know. And I pray that wherever we are as men and women and as families in this church today, that you'll meet us there and not leave us there. If there is something that we are supposed to be doing that we are not, that you will convict us and that we will respond in repentance and faith and change. If there is something that we are doing that we are not supposed to be doing, that we will confess and repent and stop and change you're the God who makes all things new you're the God who paid the penalty for every sin and who washes and cleanses Jesus on the cross bloodshed that gives us power power that works mightily within us so father our commitment is simply to hear and then in hearing obey and in obedience you manifest yourself to us We love you. In your name I pray. Amen.